time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. to uh, Lost and Found and Rewound, a podcast dedicated to, I guess, esoteric films, odd films, films that probably, that we think didn't get their due, but, but we have somewhat of a reverence for. I am Chris Lost. I'm here with Jim Found, I guess. <laughs> and Rick Rewound. <laughs> Rick Rewound. I should have picked a name that. Is easier to say. It's easier to say. <laughs> we we saw uh, the Wicker Man today, and and here we should say we're set here just a mile or so from where we used to all rent video cassettes and watch them in our homes in our respective VCRs. Even though this one, I'm not sure. I was I still I can't remember the first time I saw this. I think it was on tape. Rick and I are in this band, and sometimes we we get together after practice and. We'd watch movies, and I, I have a feeling maybe we watched this sometime. This, this feels like an after-band practice movie, but I really can't remember the first time I saw this and movie. And would that be Laserdisc then, or would it be VHS? I don't, yeah, it was I don't, v, VHS, I think. Probably, yeah. Although we would get Laserdiscs at the lovely That's Our Entertainment in Champaign-Urbana. But the, the video store you were talking about, Chris, is the Western Springs' finest video store. Showtime Video. Showtime Video. We all rode our bikes, too. We yes. did, yeah. So nostalgia is an obvious part of this. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually rented this. I saw this on VHS. Most of what I've seen from a videotape perspective was on beta. We had uh, My mom could get a Betamax cheaper than she could get a VHS player. So we had beta. But they thankfully had beta at tapes at Showtime. But, but it was never... I'm impressed because I only knew, I think, one other person who had beta back in the day. So I'm, when you just told me this, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, so like, how did that work? Did that, it was definitely limited, right? Everywhere. It was limited everywhere. Although it was kind of weird because some of the weirder movies were all like some of the things where they had beta only were kind of weird movies. So I would rent those. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was like we made the mistake twice. Like we doubled down because we had a Betamax player first. We got it because it was cheaper than VHS. And then when that broke, my mom bought another Betamax player. It was like, <laughs> I thought you liked it. I'm like, I hate it. I hate it. But I, she heard me arguing with people that beta was better than VHS. Oh, right, right. In quality and everything. And so she thought I really meant that when truth. I just wanted to justify the fact that we were cheap. Right. Yeah. But anyway, the, I rented this movie first at a place called Hastings Video in Lawrence, Kansas, where... We lived on a 238-acre farm when we were young and poor and in our low 20s. <laughs> and that's what we did. Basically, we rented VHS from Hastings for a buck a piece. Uh, I think there was no penalty for late returns, which is wow. also awesome. Yeah, you keep them as long as you want. And that's essentially all we did for entertainment, watched them out on the farm. That's all there was back in the old days, right? <laughs> right back on the farm, right. You, you had to read books or you watched videotapes. 
And Larry Glasscock would turn the crank to make the VHS and TV work. <laughs> you didn't have a windmill. We didn't have a windmill. We had Larry. But that worked. I'm watching this film. One of the questions I think we should ask, because I think we we're all picking these films from memory, is this film still any good? Oh, I thought the question was, is why would you pick this film, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I know I picked it now. I kind of watched it again today, and I thought, I always had an admiration for films that didn't follow a formula and films that I thought, wow, how the hell did, why did someone make this movie? Like, I always thought Harold and Maude was the perfect example. Mm -hmm. To me, Harold and Maude seemed like a film that had, did not have a, a cookie cutter plot. Mm -hmm. The actors were very strange in it. They weren't like normal looking actors, although it was incredibly endearing. You know, obviously it's one of the most revered indie films of all time, can I say? Maybe, I don't know. Kind of the template for Wes Anderson, I would say, or yes. a lot of Wes Anderson films, yeah. Right, so I've always had an admiration for films that Hollywood wouldn't think to make or that any studio would think to make, and I, I think this one was just so delightfully bizarre and off the beaten path that I, I fell in love with it. Now, would I call it a film I, that you should watch over and over again? No. <laughs> After watching <laughs> You've it. decided, no, no, that's not, it's not worth rewatching. I think every year. I actually enjoyed watching it today. I'm glad I did. But no, I think it's a bit heavy-handed, would you say? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a bit heavy. And to clarify, too, we're talking about the 1973 version of Wicker Man, not right. the remake with Nicolas Cage, right? Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> we should say that. None of us has seen... We haven't seen that. No, yet. yeah. So I thought about watching it last night. Yeah, me too, but yeah. I can't do it. Oh, the other thing is, is that we should probably say, if you haven't seen... The Wicker Man. Is it The Wicker Man or is it Wicker Man? The Wicker the. Man. Yeah, because Wicker Man would be more like a 90s horror movie. In fact, is mm -hmm. the Nicolas Cage one just called Wicker Man? No, I think it has it's, the, a, it's called yeah. The Wicker Man, too. If you haven't seen it, you should probably watch it before you listen to us talk about it. All right, spoiler <laughs> alert. We're going to... We're really going to... We're really going to reveal some things. And that's that's my thought about the movie is, is really... It's all about the ending. I don't think... I mean, the rest of the movie is there just to support the ending, mm -hmm. in a way. I don't know. I mean, yeah, all the rest of it is great. I think if you know the ending, too, that's that's a little... It makes the movie a little more watered down. Like, you're not that's quite true. sure what's going on. Yeah, 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 you're... Yeah, yeah. Should I give a synopsis of the film? If you can. Can I'll, you? I'll, I'll I don't try know. and do it. <laughs> it is kind of... Yeah, actually, when you say that, it is kind of just... It's just him wandering around, and it's kind of like... Well, you meet all, there are all these little anic, little scenes, you know, and they're all like quirky. The, it is a police procedural, though, I guess right? so, but I don't know. It's a very simple it's yeah. like law and order. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just stretched out for another half hour or so. A devout Christian man who's also a known virgin flies his boat plane <laughs> to an island, <laughs> gets out of it, and is looking for, uh, and he was, he was summoned there by a letter saying that a girl was lost and no one had seen her in a year. He shows up and spends two days on the island trying to find the girl, and throughout the course of that, lots of sexy stuff happens, I think, to try and to show that the people of the island are pagans and not mm -hmm. Christians, and to try and lure him into losing his virginity or at least test him as a virgin and a Christian. Hmm. He passes all of those tests, and then when he thinks that's on the cusp of cracking the case and finding the girl... He's tricked into being burned alive. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Spoiler alert. 
That was very well done. That's yeah. It was it was good. So you practiced that. I did not. <laughs> I was a little worried about being able to figure it out. But I mean, that's you're right. And there's like, I guess, to my point, there's just a lot of stuff in it that's like clues, or they keep hammering home the things that then they they then use exposition to go over again at the end of the film. Christopher Lee kind of walks them through. Like they could have mm-hmm. just burnt him, skipped right. the exposition, and we could have figured it out. I guess, mm-hmm. but. They yeah. felt the point to hammer it home again. Yeah, yeah, and it, there's definitely a, a red herring or a bait and switch where you think the girl is going to get burned alive, or not even burned alive, just sacrificed, and then it's like, oh no, it's all a trick to get you to voluntarily, not voluntarily, just be the fool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had to be, the rule was he had to come of his own free will, he had to represent a king, he had to have authority, maybe, or maybe I might be making that one up. Yeah. And he had to be a virgin. And, yeah, yeah. And a fool. There was a fool in there, and too. And a fool. Right, so, yeah. yeah, and a fool. And so they tricked him into thinking, yeah, yeah. So that's the fool part, not just the fact that he's wearing a, a punch costume. Mm-hmm. It's that he's a fool. He's literally a fool. He's been fooled. Literally and figuratively. Right. A fool. Got it. <laughs> And and this was all to get their crops back. They needed to sacrifice authoritative king representing full virgin. The, these are the crops. rules to get your crops to be... When you lose crops, you have to sacrifice a person like this in order to get your crops to come back in the next growing season. That was, yeah, that's the stuff I couldn't remember because they keep talking about fruit there and how the island's all about fruit, but they all have canned fruit. Yeah, it took me a while to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, again kind of keep hammering home the just at every turn there was the clue Mm -hmm. for him to in fact the fact that it took him so long and then he when he's figuring it out too then he speaks his way through it for the audience where he's like (laughs) thankfully flash back to the pictures we flash back to the the images of the picture of rowan and he's he's even says rowan is still alive he looks at the calendar and there's all sorts of i don't know what is that called when the uh the character is our, it's the audience's proxy, right? Right. And so we're in his place. And so he spends a lot of time explaining what's happening to himself. But then also yeah. Christopher Lee explains himself too, <laughs> as, a, as a bad guy he normally does, right? right? And the ending, yeah, it's like the Columbo episode where everything gets explained at the end and there's the twist. It's, it's, it's a weird combination of a Twilight Zone episode kind of ending, I guess. And then... I don't know what, I had a combination of what it was. It's Deliverance, Rosemary's Baby, and, uh, um, and Twilight Zone kind of combined, right? Mm-hmm. But what about also your big, well, or maybe you're waiting to, you know, the uh, uh, local hero. Local you're hero, gonna, that's right. You, you, so I, have, I have a feeling you, you've got a whole, yeah, no, no, whole I, long I, I, I discussion forgot. about local hero. No, yeah, you, you reminded me. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. so in, in a way, yeah, local hero, which is another, you know, film like this, I think that definitely a VHS film, about 10 years later, but about a small town in Scotland yep. and a representative of a Texas oil firm visits that town. And it, it's about him kind of coming to terms with the quirky small town, old English atmosphere. But but the uh, yeah local hero has definitely, a much happier definitely, ending. And definitely after watching Wicker Man again tonight, that it, a definite loose remake of the Wicker yeah, Man. Exactly. After. The Wicker Man is like... I think he, he definitely had it in his mind. He was like, yeah. Well, that's the question, or is that just like so? Yeah, but but the question is, is like there's so many small town England town things like this, but it's kind of like the deliverance thing too, I guess. It's that it's the English equivalent of we talked, Chris, you know, and I had talked about Southern Comfort. I watched that a while ago, and then deliverance, that idea of 
a place that time has forgotten in the old ways or something like that. And this is just that the British version of that, which yeah. you see. I, and I was thinking the prisoner is kind of like that too. The prisoner's a little different right. because it's more like spy stuff or or it's a, it's an island and it's not necessarily a small town, but it still has those elements where you're going to a, a weird little town. It's hard to imagine England because it's so small, right? You know, like in America, you would go... You know, yeah, you could understand that. Oh, you go in the middle of nowhere in the south or something, and everybody's weird and and strange. But then, in a country that's the size of what Illinois is it? Yeah, <laughs> England? that's true. Yeah, it's yeah, not too yeah. Much that, that there are these strange pockets of of people where time has forgotten. But maybe that's the characteristic of of that era, like the late '60s and early '70s, where it was like that that was disappearing because everything was modernizing and there was nowhere. You know, you couldn't have these weird pockets anymore, and so it was kind of a last vestige of that old kind of timey small town really small like ancient town kind of feeling right a pocket mm-hmm. backwoods you'd asked why you know come with why we may have picked this film or why this film resonated with us when we saw it and i had read about this the screenwriter said that he was fascinated with the concept of a like a modern christian man struggling in and amongst pagans and i thought well maybe that's what appealed to me because i always felt like I always, I'm always paranoid that I'm that guy in the group of people who everybody is humoring, but nobody likes. <laughs> and but I think I was reading too much into just that because, like, when I watched the film today, I was like, "Oh no, I like this movie because it was hilariously bizarre." But I do get that feeling, like to your point, like when I drive one time, my wife and I spent a night in Hannibal, Missouri. And we thought we were going to be murdered. Oh, that's a longer story because of what was going on in the hotel room next to us. Or even just the other day, or over Thanksgiving, I walked into this bar called um, the Jockey Club in Riverside, Missouri. And I was looking very preppy, and the crowd there was not. I was like, oh, I mean, even though I could hang with these people, I don't think they want me to hang with them. So I was like, they'll probably murder me and just bury me out back, so I'm going to leave. So I, I guess... You know, part of it, I mean, that that is a horrifying feeling is that you're in the midst of what is allegedly, and he kept bringing this up, like some a law-abiding, God-fearing, you know, we, that we have all are playing by the rules of society, but in truth, because of the, you know, if there's a community there that doesn't feel like they have to play by the rules, they could do whatever the hell they want to you, and, and that's <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> Yes, kind of the social anxiety of being in a new situation and having thinking you know the rules, right? The social rules and everything like that, and then going into a place where everything is different and you kind of have to adjust or adapt. This is, yeah, kind of an extreme version of that, but it also kind of teaches you not to, uh, not to say anything, I guess. If everybody went in Rome, right, you don't start yelling at people and saying, stop being Romans, Right, you. I think that's what that means. <laughs> when in Rome, do as the Romans do, or you'll be murdered, <laughs> or you'll be burnt in a large wicker basket. Right, <laughs> man-shaped wicker tower. I also thought about there's a term at, at work that we call grin fucking, and like at work, I, I'm not very diplomatic, so I always I'm just like, no, I don't like what you're doing, and this is why I don't like what you're doing. And people are just like, that guy's an OCD freak. Because here at work, we don't tell people we don't like what they're doing. We just smile and say something and then walk away. And we call that grin fucking. So I feel like they were all kind of grin fucking him through the whole village. You know, they're just like, you don't know what you're talking about. Have a sweet or a frog or whatever. Humoring him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, yeah, that's definitely what you find out, right? It's that idea of it seems like he's a, a person stumbling into, yeah, this this backwoods thing. And Local Hero's a lot like that, too. I don't want to talk too much about Local Hero, but it is that idea where as the outsider, you have this perception of superiority or you know what's going on or you know reality or these people are backwards in some way. And then you find out, oh, no, they're not. They're, you know, the twist at the end is that, oh, they're they're more savvy than I am or there's something else going on that I wasn't aware of, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, that, that kind of idea. And I think that's horrifying. <laughs> it I mean, is. It's, it is actually. I mean, like if I went to work tomorrow and they're all like, and for years we've just been going along with your bullshit, but we have we are done with it. You know that would just break my heart. It would be horrible. And then they led me to a a burnable structure and then lit me aflame. That would be awful too. Now, do you think in the context of the film when it was made, that was what it was about? I don't know if it existed. I don't know if it was intended, but it's certainly there. I mean, the screenwriter did say. He was fascinated with the concept of a modern Christian fighting a pagan or, or like trying to work his way through a pagan group. But yeah, if you think of this, the 60s and then, you know, the kind of, I guess, the early 70s, there was a conflict between the status quo or, mm-hmm. you know, upright Christian behavior. And then there was the whole kind of hippie or radical counterculture, right? Culture and counterculture. So you could say that's probably maybe what the movie's about. Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. That part itself, it's time. Yeah, it's definitely. Christopher Lee was definitely representing sort of the hippie or the modern. You know, this was just a few years after Manson killed the hippie movement, right? So (laughs) it's kind of weird that yeah, this kind of film probably would have been sexy and fun a few years earlier, or maybe I don't know. I don't know. That's reading too much into it. And and that that I drew a connection again. So I'm trying to draw parallels to like the American equivalent. So like when I was talking about Deliverance, but then also I thought of like a movie like Run with the Devil. Do you remember that with like Peter Fonda in in our RV with Warren Oates and Loretta Swit? Is it? Oh, there are two movies movie. like this where they're in an RV, and this mm-hmm. is from around 1975. But they're in an RV and they're traveling, and then all of a sudden, satanic cult starts sort of stalking them, and then. <laughs> It's about them, yeah, trying to get away from the satanic cult in this big RV. <laughs> There's also another one with William Shatner, I think. They're like yeah. two people camping and running across satanic cults, cult movies these from the 70s. Films or yeah, like kind of. They're more like thriller, horror, like dual kind of. You're in a vehicle trying to get away from these backwoods satanists as opposed to like the deliverance thing where they're just backwoods people that want to kill outsiders. It's more like it adds the satanic thing in there. So it reminded me of that. I thought you were describing Mother Jugs and Speed at one point. But I think that's a different film. Yeah, there are lots, lots of movies that are vehicle-based in the 70s. And so this was the satanic RV movie. Speaking of 70s TV, Jim, you had pointed out that this had some similarities to a, a, a TV. I guess maybe it was an 80s TV show. Oh, you mean uh, Children of the Stones? Is that, was, was that was I was I talking about? I was about referring that? to Fantasy Island. Oh, Fantasy Island. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> I don't but I was thinking. I've never heard of children. Okay, well, <laughs> oh, that was yeah. The opening credits were definitely Fantasy Island. Yeah, his little seaplane. Oh, was, the seaplane. That was, that was just. But did you know there's? Yeah, a, I didn't think I had talked to you about Children of the Stones because there's <laughs> this this other be good. TV show, a British TV show, it was a kids show, 
in the, I think, 1977 or so. Which means now it's wholly inappropriate, right? So 70s kids shows <laughs> right. always seem really inappropriate <laughs> yeah. now. I guess from hearing about it, it, it kind of still haunts kids, people who were kids then or saw this, the show was on just like six episodes in the summer or something of 1977 and they like are still haunted by it. But yeah, just like six episodes or something. And it, I came across it, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, maybe longer. But it's very similar to this movie in a way because it takes place a few years after this. But it's a, like a scientist, like an astronomer and his son, they go to this village that is like, is a real village that incidentally Rick and I went to as children. Like we stayed, we went on a family vacation in 1980. We went to, it's called Avebury. And oh, it's yeah. a few miles away from Stonehenge and it's way cooler than Stonehenge. It's like a Neolithic henge, like a, you know, big circles, circle, big more circles, stone circles and yeah. a ditch and bank. But the little town is inside of it, this ancient monument. And so you can just walk around like as opposed to Stonehenge, you know, you can't really get close to anymore. But anyway, this town is right in the middle of this, this ancient henge. And it's kind of creepy and neat. It was really cool. But we went there in 1980. And then I came across this TV show a few years ago. And it, it's, it was filmed yeah, a few years before we were there. And so it looks kind of the same as I remember it as a kid. So it was really cool to see that. But it's just very similar. It's this creepy town. They just, these outsiders come into this town. And there's a leader, the town elder, is kind of has everybody under his control. And there's all this it, definite... Uh, same kind of druid stuff happening, you know, is in the Wicker Man, but that's yeah, Children of the Stones. You, we should watch that too. Yeah, but everybody should watch, watch that. This. And it's I'm going home to watch it. Today. It's very. I think it's on YouTube actually. <laughs> it's it's just like six episodes. But there's a show on Showtime called Outlander, and in that show, it's like somebody took romance novels and mixed them with history, hmm. and they made this show. And my wife loves this show because she read the books, and in it, the woman, it's a World War either one or two, I think World War II era couple, the war has ended and they're having a, like a loving time in a small Scottish town and she goes up to one of these stone hinges and puts her hands on it and falls back into like ancient, <laughs> not ancient, but like way back Scottish times. You know, I don't even know what year it is because I'm an idiot. But, um, you know, back with the Scottish clans and stuff and they're fighting uh -huh. the British army. She ends up getting married to like this hunky gorgeous Scottish student having like all these massive sex with them and stuff. And my wife went to Scotland recently and I'm like, if I hear that you're putting your hands on those fucking stones, <laughs> trying to get a hunky Scottish guy. Right, right. Go back in time. That, right. that happens in Children of the Stones too. Someone, they touch the stones and they go, uh, you know, and they fall over and all kinds of crazy things happen. So it's definitely... So Outlander ripped off Children of the Stones. <laughs> yeah. there, there was one more Fantasy Island connection was it? In this film, did do either was of you Edward know what it Woodward was? on an episode of <laughs> Fantasy Island? Probably, quite possibly, but that's not. Although the Equalizer, so that he was, was the, the Equalizer. That was a little later. That was the '80s. So I feel like maybe yeah. his time in the sun was post Love Boat, post Fantasy Island. I realize that the reason why I liked the Equalizer was because Stuart Copeland did the music to it. I right. was a Police fan. Yeah, yeah that's the only reason yeah. I watched Equalizer. <laughs> that's all I knew really about the Equalizer. I don't think I ever watched an episode. I just remember that Stuart Copeland did the music. I was like, wow, that's weird. And he had that... a kick-ass Jaguar too <laughs> that he drove around. No, Britt Eklund and Hervé Villachez were both in the film The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I looked her up because I'm like, I know who Britt Eklund is, but I couldn't figure out why. 
And so, like, I, I don't remember in The Man with the Golden Gun, but I didn't realize that she was married to Peter Sellers, right? Oh, so, I didn't Yeah, know. she yeah. was Peter Sellers' wife, because I, I read a biography of Peter Sellers a while ago, I think. And, and I was like, okay, there's that. She went out with Rod Stewart. Right. She went out with Lou Adler, who's like this music producer guy. And then <laughs> this is this is the weirdest one that I, that I looked up. I, I had no idea about this. She was married to uh, what is it, Slim Jim Phantom from the Stray Cats for like ten years. What? Right. Yeah, she was the the wife of the Stray Cats drummer, who was like twenty years younger than her. Yeah, I think. Well, she was pregnant in this movie. Oh, really? And With whose baby? I don't know. We'll have to Lou probably, Adler's baby? Maybe Peter Sellers. I think no, it must no, have been no. Lou Adler's baby. Yeah, they, I think Peter, Sell, her and Peter Sellers got divorced in like 1968 or something oh. like that. Well, they said that because she was pregnant, I, I read this last night, and then she, like, they used doubles, body doubles for her, and I was like, oh... So she must not be doing the nude scenes in this film, but clearly she was definitely doing <laughs> right. nude some scenes. of them. Yeah. The, the, yeah, I think just the shot from behind where she's dancing against <laughs> right. the wall was a double. Yeah, but otherwise that was Britt Eklund. Yeah, and here's my note from that scene: is I wrote, and I thought this was very funny at the time. I wrote "Naked Nico" because <laughs> yeah, the song like, that she's singing it sounds like Nico, you know, from the Velvet Underground, <laughs> like a solo Nico song because she's got an accent too. Singing, but she was naked at the same time. It, it was it was such a strange scene. Well, and she was dubbed. I've oh, that, that wasn't her singing. No, so there's there was two people who dubbed her. Somebody did some of her lines. Oh, okay, yeah, I was wondering. And then another woman did her singing. Oh, okay. And so then there that bums me out. Two bodies, but she she did two, sing. Two body yeah, doubles. she did sing in an accent there. That I noticed that too because I, I had heard that she had had someone else singing, but she did kind of do a, a Brit, Swedish kind Swedish. of accent <laughs> accent and some of the Scottish singing. So, slash so the, Swedish yeah, the, accent. Whoever was dubbing her was kind of doing her accent even in the singing. Oh, so, there was something else. Yeah, I was talking about Britt Eklund and uh, Peter Sellers. I was thinking when I'd heard that, yeah, that I knew they were they were married, and but they had broken up before this movie. I thought, what what if they had still been together when this movie was made, and Peter Sellers played the police character? Oh, that's what I thought. I was like thinking, I can't couldn't stop thinking about that when I was watching it again. It like, would have been great. Yeah, like, and then I thought, you know, it's like, well, he could be like the last Pink Panther movie, like he's Clouseau. And, and that's, but that was too far. No, it was, and it would then he be, gets burned it, at, yeah, the end. at the end. Yeah. And it's like, but, this for sure, I will not make another one. I am never going to make another yeah. Pink Panther film. And it's like the ending, I have to die. And then they, they he gets burnt in a, a big wicker man. Yeah. yeah. But, but no, it would be interesting if it was just Peter Sellers doing it straight, like playing. Well, he did being there, right? Right. That was, I mean, he can, that was like 1978. He can play straight. Sure. Did, it would have been I, interesting. I feel like we, did we watch this movie together? The the crazy Peter Sellers movie about the guys stuck in underground yeah. during yeah. World War II. The, the bunker or something. The bunker or something. Called. There's a Peter Sellers movie from around that time, which. Based, based on a true story. True story right. about these guys who got, yes, stayed in a bunker for like three or four years after the war was over. Yeah. It oh, got, no. I think it got hit. In, in, by a bomb or something, and no one knew they were they were trapped in this huge bunker that had lots of food, or several people were trapped <laughs> yeah. in the dark, and, or they had some candles and things something and food. Like that. Yeah, lamps. But it sounded like they went through everything way too quickly, and yeah, they were stuck in there for three years or something, or four years, and they didn't make it, you know, but several of them survived. They got out. And that's an intense movie. Yeah, pe- <laughs> with I Peter Sellers and no comedy whatsoever. Yeah. I don't think there's anything funny in that movie. Yeah. I think that was probably his first attempt at a totally straight role. 
Yeah. 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 I should mention that when I started watching these kind of movies, these like weird British and American indie films, I don't know what you how you characterize them. It wasn't by my own volition. There were these two brothers, the little brothers, that came from New England, and they basically looked like young Kennedys, and they lived in Lawrence, Kansas with us, and they were, you know, the yeah, little I, brothers. I, I remember uh, them. They're literally called the little the brothers. The little brothers. Okay. John, <laughs> I thought you were, you were making some kind of no, description of their size. They were quite tall and, okay. and very handsome, both of them, and Mike Little and, and John Little, and they were great. They were the ones that brought all this kind of... They, they introduced me to Richard Thompson and Fairport Convention and then all of these kind of crazy, obscure films. It was uh, Putney Swope. I don't oh, know yeah, yeah. That movie. And, and they were really instigators for a lot of the, the high culture that went on on the farm. <laughs> so they would always be there and have lots of things for us to indulge in in all different ways. But well, how did they find out about this stuff? You know, they grew up in New England in sort of a, oh, their dad, I think, ran a boarding school or something. They, mm. they, they somehow had access to, they were they were of middle class, normal means, but they somehow had access to sort of the high society New England crowd. And so they're just indoctrinated in a lot of stuff that then they brought to Lawrence, Kansas, and we all wow. found fascinating. <laughs> Mike uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately, but John still lives out in uh, Boston. So anyway, I wanted to give a shout out to the Little Brothers because they were huge influencers on culture, and they're the ones that brought Wicker Man over uh, from Hastings for us to watch. And that's, that's how I found this film. So, Jim, you you were going to, you may have done, so I shouldn't presume, some study on the soundtrack? Did you do any study um, on the soundtrack? A little bit. I, yeah, I used to kind of collect soundtrack records from like touring with the band and stuff. I'd always go to record stores and I just ended up for some reason just collecting movie soundtracks just for movies I liked or I, not necessarily because I like the music or just because I like the movie and it's like a poster, you know, it's a big LP so they, they're just neat to have. And I was thinking about this. It was like, well, yeah, I never came across this record. And I, I think, I don't think it existed. I don't think there was ever a LP. And it, it came out later, like in 2002 or something, someone released a version. But back yeah. in the day, there was never a record of The this. movie was so unpopular that they didn't even make a soundtrack record, right? Yeah, which is a surprise because it is kind of a musical. And But I guess, yeah, it was just, it's not a, like we were saying, it's not a very big budget movie or and it definitely got, didn't I, do well. I couldn't find any numbers on budget. I found that Christopher Lee, most of the actors took nothing for the film. Christopher Lee took nothing. He It was a passion project for him. He f- fought for this film throughout his life to be restored mm-hmm. and thought it was uh, like an impactful film. Mm-hmm. And what's strange about that is is how ridiculous he looks at the end of the film, too. He actually <laughs> looks pretty ridiculous during the film, too, the hair and everything, but then the costume he wears at the end, the sort of weird hippie girl outfit kind of blue yeah. hippie dress outfit he's yeah kind of takes some of the po- his power away <laughs> <laughs> well i think i think his love of this film lends a lot of credence to what you're saying rick about how this is kind of the hippie culture thing because like a lot of his stuff seemed like very preachy and counterculture as sort of a metaphor for you know his beliefs or whatever i, I feel like he really thought he was getting a bigger message across through the through the message of the film. And is that is so? Was Christopher Lee like a, a wacko kind of thing, or he wasn't like a, a straight laced British gentleman kind of guy, like his characters most of the time? Or I don't know what he was like, but I'm surmising from his support from his of the film, film and is, then his performance that he was a hippie. It was more closer to his reality than maybe some of the other characters he would play. He looked really comfortable in those clothes. <laughs> he, and those clothes were 
out there. <laughs> the best scene in the movie is when Edward Woodward shows up to Christopher Lee's house and he's, in fact, I think I saw this exact scene in, in the show Atlanta just recently, but Edward Woodward shows up to Christopher Lee's house and he's like sitting in his, or standing in his living room Christopher Lee's just sitting in a chair. He just like gets up and turns around. It's like he was sitting there the whole time. You're talking about that crazy, weird pseudo Michael Jackson episode of Atlanta. I think that, that is I think amazing. That I'm watching him episode. halfway through that right now. Oh, that it. episode is so freaky. But yeah, I think he might do that in that episode. I think he might. I can't remember. Yeah, it would be that. interesting to see. Yeah, if if there's some references to the, yeah. to Wicker Man in Dude, Atlanta. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's more kind of like going into the creepy rich person's dilapidated mansion. Kind of, I guess that's kind of a archetype. Well, the funny thing is, I was when I was watching Atlanta, it felt a lot like Sunset Boulevard when he shows up. I just watched that recently because mm-hmm. I'd never seen it before. And he shows up to this old shitty mansion. He's trying to avoid the cops or something. I forget mm-hmm. what it is. And he walks in. And it's really spooky. And it's this mansion of this Hollywood actress or whatever. And yeah. it's sort of the same feeling. It's like he kind of wanders into this decrepit, old, withered, broken down house. And out comes some rich person who <laughs> is weird. Weird. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Britt Eklund's father in the film. Yes. Oh, yeah. The landlord. Yes, you know who he is. I know who he is, but but what's weird about it is like when, when you see him and then he starts talking about her being his daughter, did you have any kind of question about that? Yeah, like, the age, she... age difference. Age is difference. That... Also that he seemed a little like he was playing for the other team, maybe. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So this is the thing is yeah so it's it's played by Lindsay Kemp who was David Bowie's mime teacher, <laughs> which you 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 didn't I didn't know I'm, Bowie I'm, had I'd, done mime yeah which is amazing to me I didn't know much about Bowie I mean, he made music but then as <laughs> oh, okay you, as you so pointed, you're not a Bowie nerd like like I would be I'm not I'm a Prince nerd which is Prince why nerd. I knew that the credits <laughs> on the DVD were using the same font as Purple Rain. Yeah. That's about as far as I go. So yeah, that's the thing is Lindsay Kemp was also out at a time when it wasn't, you know, as accepted to be gay. And so the weirdness of I think that's also part of it maybe is that idea of having someone who seems is is kind of really sig- uh, what what is oh, what does my son call it? Uh has gay energy. Right. Is what the kids say now. You know, it's like he he was really translating a lot of gay energy, but then he's like, Oh, this is my daughter, you know, and, and everything like not that someone who's gay can't have a daughter, but what I what I was saying was is there's the the weird disconnect. I, I w- especially I would think in a seventies film, right, where someone who's at least transmitting a lot of gay energy, you know, is in a traditional role of barkeeper. Right, and then mm-hmm. with the uh, with the beautiful daughter, right, and then how that for Edward Woodward, who's that straight laced person, having to try to navigate and understand that. I think that was part of this too, where it was that idea of like the reason why maybe he was cast was because he would yeah create that kind of disconnect, yeah. you know, as instead of playing the stereotype, you know, that you would have someone who was gay in the, in the 70s, you know, in, in a movie typically was, you know, just a flaming kind of stereotype, right? And used for humor, whereas his character is definitely much more kind of meant to needle Edward Woodward's character, right? <laughs> <laughs> this film had like four different versions and they've kind of floated around because there's even in 2013 a director's cut that's different 
than the extended edition that we just watched. Is it shorter or longer? The director's cut, I think, is two minutes shorter. <laughs> so I'm assuming they cut out that scene that was the exact duplicate of itself, where oh. Christopher Lee walks away from the Wicker Man and goes like this twice. <laughs> so they filled out that extended version with the video copy, right? So you can see the changes in quality in this version we saw. It seems like they cut out a lot of the music, yeah. right? So this was a pretty heavy-duty musical edit originally. There was a lot more of the music as being part of the sort of vibe of the film and then it seemed like they hacked a lot of that out yeah it really felt like a musical <laughs> for a, like the first half and then that kind of died away for a little bit yeah in the interest of advancing the plot but there was a lot of songs and so the throughout. band that's credited is called magnet but is that a was that a real band or was that just uh i think so yeah i so i like the kind of real i, I listened to the soundtrack on the way up when I drove up here and the studio sounding stuff from the movie is not, I, don't, I didn't enjoy that much, but the, the definitely the stuff within the film itself, the diegetic music I thought was, was great. You know, the weird folk kind of, and that's what you realize. I, I think that's an important part of it, right? Is that folk music, the music of, of people, right? It's sometimes really weird and creepy and about death all the time and about, yeah, mm -hmm. sort of that more, more primitive kind of cultural stuff yeah i think some of it was from was it like robert burns or something too like poetry i think they took mm. some some the lyrics so th some of it was yes yeah, so a lot of it is very ancient music but some of it is more well slightly more modern but not that modern <laughs> was it dubbed like i the, i found myself at times thinking okay this is definitely dubbed and lip-synced and then like in some of the bar scenes and stuff, I was like, if this is dubbed and, and lip synced, they're doing an awesome job. <laughs> I mean, like it seemed very synced. Yeah, I'll have to look at the soundtrack in more detail, but it seems like the, yeah, it seems like they're studio versions, but then they're live on set versions. It's, it's a little confusing on how they, they did it all. Maybe they blended it. One more interesting fact, the director, Robin Hardy, only made, well, first of all, this film was heralded as the Citizen Kane of horror films by, and I, I think that's a stretch. <laughs> I might I might give that to The Shining or, or something else, but he only made three movies. The Wicker Man in 1973, The Fantasist in 1986, and then in 2011, he made The Wicker Tree, which was a spiritual sequel to this. Hmm. The Wicker Tree was not very well received. The Fantasist was okay. Wicker Man is... is kind of a cult favorite yeah. but that's yeah. it three movies and seemed to spend a lot of his time bless you trying to get this film released in some format that he was a uh, okay with that's a that's a, a limited film career and and was it did he write it too or who was the writer the writer was he did not write robert hardy did not write it. robin hardy uh it was anthony schaefer okay so and he wrote other stuff he's yes. he's well known for writing something important right <laughs> <laughs> I don't have his credits here. But. I'm looking him up. Ooh. Anthony Schaefer wrote Sleuth, Frenzy. So oh, Frenzy? Yeah. Hitchcock. Yep. So that's uh, that's that's some interesting stuff. Let's see what else. Evil Under the Sun, eh. Death on the Nile, eh. Murder on the Orient Express, uncredited. City of the Penguins, 1971. I don't know what that is. Is that similar to Day of the Dolphin? Oh, wow. It looks like John Hurt was in it, though. A very young John Hurt. We're going to have to watch that. Absolutely. Children of the Stones. Did you write Children of the Stones? <laughs> no, doesn't look like it. All right. Well, I, I think that's what I've got for this film. I would say that sort of the big questions here. 
what is your review of this film? Is this a good film? I, I will not take offense. <laughs> Either way. My my thought is is it, it really is it's, it's all about getting to the ending. It's really a bunch of details in order to serve for a really great ending. And so I don't think but uh, I get waffly about it. I enjoy all the all the weirdness and the the masks and the the strange, you know, sort of subculture or the weird, yeah, underground culture, whatever, counterculture, whatever you want to call it, that it portrays. So that's all neat. It's it's a nice... And, and you know, he works his way through the mystery, like a normal cop would, and it's just a nice twist at the end. Yeah. But I was, like, surprised that he was a virgin, but I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this it was kind of cool, a cool surprise. Like, now they can burn him, because he's... <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Which is great. It's great. It's, it's up there with Planet of the Apes, you right. know, yeah. those kind of twists. I'm trying to think of other twists. You know, it's a classic twist movie. So again, if you did not watch it before you listen to this, you've uh, it's terrible. You're a bad person. <laughs> you should watch the movie. I do recommend it to people. And now I think I'm going to temper my recommendations to people. I think like, I think I would say if you want to see a weird movie that you can have a good laugh at, it's just an odd film, but a great, great odd film. Yeah, so I enjoyed this movie, but I think if I recommended it to someone, they would think of me differently and possibly go, wow, there's something wrong with Rick. And, and Wicker Man's kind of like that. There's this movie, Barbarian Sound System. Have you seen that? It's no. a more recent film about a guy who does sound effects for like nature films, but he gets hired to do the sound sound effects for a horror film in Italy, but then he slowly... It gets weirder and weirder, and and there's no gore or anything awful in the film. It's just the people dubbing the film, describing stuff, and then him making sounds and everything like that. But it's a truly, like, upsetting film. And it was like, I I remember in a class, like, starting to talk about it, and then I realized, okay, there are only about one or two students in here (laughs) that should watch this film. And understand that, yeah, I think you have to be a certain type of person or have watched certain types of films or like have at least some sort of, yeah, where it would be like if just like a normal person watched the film, they would go, they they would be upset and then also be like, why, what's wrong with Rick for recommending this, right? And so, yeah, it's the question, is Wicker Man that type of film? I think it is. I mean, it's like it's like I recommended to a bunch of people at work to watch The Warriors, and like half of them came back and was like, "That movie was awesome," and half of them came back and was like, "That movie was terrible. Why do you like that movie?" <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, you know, there's a connection between oh, bur- the guy in Barbarian Sound Studio. Is that what? It's? Yeah, it's Barbarian Sound Studio. Sound yeah, studio, studio that sound, sound system. Yeah, yes. I think you're right. Toby. What's yeah, his name? Toby, Toby, the English his, guy. His dad, who's a famous actor, I think is still alive. I looked him up, but right. he, his dad is in Children of the Stones. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's in <laughs> lots okay. of other stuff, but what's his name? It's Jones. Yeah, yeah he's a famous actor. Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it.